Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning, those that are um, watching online. Um, as you can see from the slide, um, we're going we're gonna to delve into some, some things that need to be talked about in our, in our day and age today. And um, I've been up half the night thinking about this, praying about this. And um, we, we struggle in our world today to find our identity and who we are. And I believe as the church, we have the answer in Christ Jesus for the things that we struggle with. And, and what I want to jump into today is, is how did we get here? I, I, I want us to look at God's design for sexuality and what the Word of God has to say about that. And I want us to pray because I know um, it's a very charged uh, subject in our world today. But I I believe with all my heart that God can show us his will and his plan. That no matter what we struggle with or struggle through, when we find our identity in Christ Jesus, he sets us free. And and I see in our world today, and me included, we all struggle for significance, for belonging, um, to be part of something, to have an identity. The issue is, where are we finding it? And as a, as a father, I'll be honest with you, raising three kids and looking at our world today, so many young people are struggling with who they are. I want what's happening in our world today to break our hearts and to have compassion. I believe with all my heart the church should be the place where people come to find who they truly are in Christ. Not a place where we point the finger and judge and say how bad everything. We know things are bad. You just, just turn on the news for two seconds, and right, you want to throw a brick through it, right? We know that. But the thing that is, how are we showing the truth with compassion and love and showing people there's a better way in Christ Jesus? And that's what we want to do. So would you pray with me? This is, it's going to be a fun two weeks. We're going to, and then, then we'll talk about marriage, and that's going to be even more. That's going to be even funner, right? Good grammar there. So would you pray with me and just ask God just to open up our hearts to be sensitive to what he would have for us as a church. I know for you, some of you here sitting here today, this will direct, this directly affects some of the things that you're dealing with in, in your own life, in your family. Um, so I'm going to be very sensitive to that. So would, would you pray with me? Father God, um, this is not an easy subject that we're um, just jumping into. But we know you have the answers. And I pray, God, that you would show us your will that, God, we would be sympathetic and empathetic and show compassion to how to deal with these issues as we, as we look at the truth of your word. We know that your word shows us what your will is. And we want to be obedient to your will because we know that's where true freedom comes. So help us, Lord. Help us. And for those that are struggling, for those that are hurting today, for those that are trying to find who they are in you, Lord, I know there's help. And I pray that they would reach out to you and find their strength in you and you alone, Jesus. So we thank you for this time and we give it to you. For we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen, amen. Let me start off this morning by saying um, this is not going to be an easy topic to talk about. And we know that the topic of sexuality is so polarizing in our world today 
the identity of what it means to be a man or a woman has been challenged and even redefined in our world today. And I believe we live in one of the most confusing times regarding our sexual identity. And as a church, let me reiterate this again, as a church we must show compassion within the confusion, but add clarity. Clarity. We need to define what God means by marriage and his creation, because if we don't do it, the world will. And I believe that's why we're in the confusion that we are today. So you might be here today, maybe you're dealing with a son or a daughter or a granddaughter or grandson, struggling with their sexual identity or same-sex attraction. You might be here today and you're dealing with that very, very thing. And let me be very, very, very clear throughout this series. This is not to pick on a group of people. And I know we can have very strong opinions on these issues, but may we never, ever lose our love for people. We must first deal with our hearts before looking at everyone else's. We are fallen individuals, and we struggle sexually. Now, let, let me be... Boy, it's so quiet in here. But let, you're like, boy, this is... Glad I came to church today. All right. This is Living Word. Welcome to Living Word, everyone. Um, <laughs> But let me be honest with you. Let me just be honest with you. Um, uh, when I see marital or relationship problems, uh, and just, you know, in, in my position as a pastor, you deal with a lot of people and their hurts and their pains and their background. Um, when I see marital or relationship problems, it usually boils down to something dysfunctional sexually. Sexual abuse, one out of four women, one out of six men. Pornography, an affair, lust, whatever it may be, there's something dysfunctional there that we have all been part of or have done. Um, And we need to understand that we are broken, that we are broken sexually, that we have trauma because of what has been done to us or what we've done to others. And we need help to understand, to see who we are in God. And I want you to understand this morning, God is not our creator who condemns us and leaves us. But he gives us the answer for our brokenness. And we need to find the answer for our brokenness and why we are where we are today. And so I want our church to be a place where we speak the truth of God's word and have compassion on people. To deal with the tension of these issues, but not relinquish them or redefine them to fit the culture of our day. We need to define God's design for sexuality because if we don't do it, the world will. But at the same time, I want us to be a place where anyone can come and feel loved, ask questions, and not feel ostracized. My prayer is this. Even if you don't agree with some of the things I will say over the next couple weeks, I hope you will never not feel loved. I spent countless hours listening to podcasts, reading books about this topic, and I don't want to enter this haphazardly. I want to to thank a a church that my views attend and are part of and on staff. Uh, It's called CCV Church, Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix. They did a phenomenal job dealing with this very difficult topic. And I watched one of their services dealing with this, and they had a beautiful video testimony of two couples 
who really struggled with their identity and same-sex attraction, and they did an interview with them. And I'm going to show that to you at the end of the service. It's a beautiful testimony of what Christ can do and hearts that are open to him. So I'm very thankful for what they've done and, and the research that they've done too. I'm fully convinced that our only hope comes from a changed life in Christ Jesus and that God's word will lead us in all truth. So this is the question I want to deal with today. I want to deal with this question today. How did we get here? How did we get to 2024? There are terms I never knew existed five years ago. Terms like gender fluidity, in which a person decides who they want to identify with regardless of sex, the sex that they were born with. I read an article from Harvard University and they defined gender fluidity this way. Listen real carefully and see if you can follow this. And if you get it, then come up to me later and try to explain it to me. But this is what they said. They said gender fluidity refers to change over time in a person's gender expression or gender identity or both. That change might be an expression but not identity or in identity but not expression. Or both expression and identity might change together. End of quote. Are you confused? <laughs> I am too. <laughs> Let's bring clarity to God's design first. Because the further we get away from God's design, the more God's design sounds bizarre. And if we don't go back to the creation story, because this, this is the building block. The first three chapters of Genesis are the building block for everything we believe in our Christian worldview. If we don't go back to the creation story of God's original design, we will only have confusion and, can def and, and we'll define gender any way we want to. Here's, here's what God says in Genesis 1.27. It, it says this about God and who he is and what he did for us. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. We are the image bearers of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Within that creation story also is God's design for marriage. We're going to deal with that in, in the same series also. I want you to see something here. We are created in God's image. This is what separates us from all other creatures. God desires us to represent him correctly. We are made to resemble God in how we act and how we deal with each other. If you look at the Ten Commandments, it's very interesting. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, because we can look at the Ten Commandments and just say, okay, I can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, and welcome to Christianity, right? It's, it's so much more than just do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship. It's about how we respond to God and have a correct relationship with him and also how we have correct relationships with one another. If we don't do those two things, we'll be acting in accordance to God's will. So we're made to have this relationship with God. God set the parameters on what a correct relationship, a healthy relationship looks like, a whole relationship. We are made to have relationships with one another. We are not created to be alone and we need each other. I want you to notice something here. God gives guidelines for sexual relationships between a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. So, the question we're, we're asking today is, what changed? What changed? How many of you grew up in the 60s? Oh, come on, don't be shy, okay? I was born in 1966. Some of you grew up in the 60s. Some of you remember the 60s. Some of you don't remember the 60s. It was like a bad Cheech and Chong movie. I know, I know. I know, you guys. I know, all right? 
Um, how we got here, if, you, if, if we look back at the ide- ideology of the 60s, it's very interesting how we got here now. If you remember the 60s, if you've done any research on it, it was a time of free love, right? Anything goes in the sexual revolution. Before the 60s, some ideologies were leading up to this, and, the, and this is the reason why we're here today. The philosophy that led to the thinking in the 60s comes in direct conflict with the teachings of Jesus Christ. So this is where I just got attacked by a fly. Oh, what the? I think it was a stink bug. Oh, I was, ah, they're not that bad. They're just stinky. Leave them alone, all right? They're God's creation as I, as I kill it. So let's look at how did, it, how did we lead up to this? Well, here's, here's where that philosophy started. The philosophy started by thinking, I'm going to do what I want to do. So the core of the 1960s was this expressive individualism. This is where it starts. Developed by Robert Bella, a sociologist, and it says, here's the main idea of expressive individualism. Catch this, because this is where we are today. My identity is found solely and only solely when I can express outwardly my inward feelings. Now, you might be thinking, Pastor Barton, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with getting in touch with your inner feelings? What's what's wrong with that? Here's the problem. The problem is, it's about looking inward, looking into my heart. I find myself within myself. No one can tell you anything different. It's who you are, and you define it just like the Harvard article about gender fluidity. You define it. Okay. The saying is, in our day and age, you do you. You do you. You do you. Follow your heart, and you do you, and everything will be fine. Well, why is that a bad premise? Why is that so dangerous? For this reason. It leads to no moral constraints. Moral relativism. What's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me may not be right for you. And who's to say is right and wrong? That's where we are today. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet says this about our heart. In in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Sick. And who can understand it? See, what Jesus tells us He tells us to find ourselves, but we must deny ourselves. If we're truly to find ourselves, we have to deny ourselves. Following your heart is the most dangerous thing that you can do. How many marriages were destroyed and addictions started by following your heart or following your desire? And here's the lie. We're trying to find ourselves within ourselves. That's a bad place to start. And what Jesus does is to find true freedom in your identity. Jesus tells us this, the opposite. In Matthew 10, it's recorded for us what Jesus says. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So what is Jesus saying here? This is really interesting. He's using the cross as a symbol of discipleship. He's using the cross as a symbol of discipleship. It's denying yourself 
and your will to follow Christ. When you lose yourself, it is when you truly find freedom. And when we look at cross-bearing, we tend to look at it as minor inconveniences in our lives. Minor inconvenience. Not like, I've got to hang now. I'm, you know, I'm bearing my cross. That's not what it means. In fact, the cross meant death. And we see it as a symbol of hearing Jesus and Jesus' pain and atoning for our sins. Jesus gave his life on the cross, giving up everything and being willing to be tortured for us. The cross is a metaphor to dying to yourself. That's the exact opposite message that we hear from the 1960s. So what is self-denial? Well, I heard self-denial this way. Self-denial is the intentional disowning of the self or stepping away from a relationship with with the self as primary. Jesus is not making a statement about whether the self is bad, but about who we are most closely associated with. Who is our primary allegiance to? Is it to Christ or is it to ourselves? It's a call to complete surrender. And so what God does for us, listen to this, God gives us our identity. It's not something we discover. You see, here's, and we've all fallen into this trap. We try to find our identity in what we do, right? So if I do well at my job, and I find my identity there, I feel, I feel good about myself. If, if my kids turn out okay, and my identity is my kids, I feel, I feel good about that. If I do well at sports, whatever it may be, if I'm doing well, then if my identity is attached to that, then I feel good about myself. But what happens when those things don't meet their end of the bargain? Right? What if my kids don't turn out the way I want them to? Or what if I don't do as well in my sports? Or uh, what if the, my job didn't work out the, the way it worked out? If my identity is attached to those things, it will reveal truly what I'm trusting. And those things will never live up to their end of the bargain. And I want you to understand that you are God's creation. But here's the problem with placing my identity in something other than God. If I'm placing my identity in my children, guess what? They're going to let you down. And there goes your worth. When those things let you down, if you find your worth in those things, once they let you down, there goes your worth. Whether it's my job or sport, whatever it may be, those things are fleeting and will leave me disappointed. And so what we see in the creation story and what we see in our relationship with Christ Jesus is we must look to our creator for who we are. If you boil all the things that we're struggling with today, it boils down with who we are. We're trying to find ourselves and who we are. And what Jesus does is he comes to fix our brokenness, brokenness that was left by sin. That disrupted our identity and who we are in Christ Jesus. Remember Adam and Eve, what was the first thing they did when they rebelled against God? They hid They hid from their relationship with God because of their brokenness and their sin. So we struggle with our identity because we look for external things to make us feel significant. And that's the struggle we see today. That's the philosophies that we bought. And we're struggling to find out who we are because we want to feel important. We like all the accolades. However, it will never be enough. 
So why do we see such an identity crisis in our world today when it comes to sexuality? Let's go back to answer that question. Because if we start with ourselves, if we start with us, if we look to ourselves to find our identity, it will never be enough. Why? Because the starting point is flawed. And we are flawed because of the fall. Christian Wagner, president of the Alliance Defending Freedom, says this, young people are getting caught up in the churn of radical ideologies, aiming to offer hope and wholeness, but instead only provides false promises. There's actually a Facebook group that I noticed at the time, when I noticed a couple months ago, it had 56,000 people that were part of this Facebook group. And these were people who transitioned and then detransitioned and felt like they were never given correct counsel. They were trying to find their identity here and realized they never got correct counsel. And now there's this whole group of people trying to support each other. 60 Minutes did a whole report on this very issue, especially with teenagers. And what happened is many of these teenagers were giving this hormone therapy as they were teenagers and then regretted it later and never received correct counseling with what they were struggling with because they weren't getting to the root cause of the issue of their identity. They were just masking it by saying, I just want to change and redirect the way I was created. Christ came to actually set us free from ourselves. Abigail Schreier wrote a book called, and she's just a freelance writer, but it was called um, Irreversible Damage. And what was really, it just blew my mind. And she says, in the struggle to find identity, um, especially with same-sex attraction or or, or uh, transgenderism, she said, many teenage girls who may not struggle at all um, with gender dysphoria do it because they feel it makes them special. And the amount that are turning to this way is exponential. It's just exploded. And it's because they want to feel different. They want to feel special. They want to connect with a group and feel like they're different. It's a fad. One of the greatest lies being told today is that the totality of my identity is my sexuality. The book by, a book by Carl Truman called The Rise and the Triumph of the Modern Self is one of the most concise books written on the topic. And Truman says this, there's never been a time in human history that humanity has defined their identity by their sexual attraction or orientations. Once again, what we are dealing with is our identity. We're attaching our identity with our sexuality. And that's dangerous. We've taken our attractions and elevated them to our identity. And let me stress this to you this morning. We are not our attractions. All our desires are not necessarily good ones. And I know that's hard to hear in our world today. It's hard to hear that. But what I do with my desires, we need to ask the question, if if God is our creator, 
then we need to ask the question, is this contrary to the will of God? Do we simply say, I was born that way, so it's okay to follow my desires? Or do we just simply change how we believe certain things because the culture has changed? That does not solve our identity problem by just saying yes and giving in to something. It's hard to hear these things. But the reality is, God loves us so much that he sent his son to deal with those greatest issues in our heart, which is a spiritual issue in us rebelling against God and his will. That's how much he loves us, by sending us his son. And so what do we do? Well, we need to understand that we're all born dysfunctionally, (laughs) that we're all flawed with sin, and we inherited a sin nature. And ignoring God and doing whatever I feel will lead to confusion, not freedom. And so all of us, all of us have a desire that are contrary to God's will. And in our struggle, we must submit to Christ. And we don't say, oh, well, that's just who God made me, and so I can do whatever I want with any consequences. Every single one of us in this world will struggle through sin. We'll struggle with wrong desires. All of us will. And it's what we do with those desires that are contrary to God's will. Do we submit them to Christ Jesus in obedience to him to find the freedom that God desires us to find? And then finding your true identity in Christ, in Christ alone, and not your sexuality. We can't justify our behavior because of our desires. We cannot justify our behavior because of our desires. So, I I thought CCV did a beautiful job in this interview with two people, Gary and Melissa, who were same-sex attracted, and how God helped them through Christ to find their identity in him and him alone. And I wanted you to hear this. I'm so glad they... They, they gave me permission to show the video because I believe it's a beautiful testimony. And uh, it really, I, I believe, expresses my heartbeat for our church and how we are to handle these very delicate issues. So go ahead and look up at the screen at their, at their testimony at this time. I had a long-term relationship with a guy I moved in with pretty quickly. And, and, but then after that, there were a lot of kind of anonymous encounters that I didn't want the anonymous encounters. I kept thinking they would, they, you know, might be something that would last longer. I felt like I finally belonged someplace where I was wanted probably, you know, for all the wrong reasons, but it was a place where I didn't feel judged or condemned and quite to the contrary. So that really was euphoric and, and, and felt like, oh, this is like, this is who I am. This is my identity. And everything kind of made sense. For me, what inspired me to really change my life and direction is that I finally got to a place of feeling so much brokenness, feeling like, oh, this, this was euphoric in the beginning. This, this looked like this is the promised land in a sense, you know, the LGBT community. I finally have a place to belong. But over the course of time, that veneer began to rub off. That veneer began to really reveal what was underneath of it.
I met a woman um, at a lesbian bar and we began to date and I got physically involved with her and I felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. I mean, it just felt so right to be with her. And my sister just came right out and asked me, what's going on? And I said, well, I think I'm gay. And she had the best response. Like, I thought for sure she was going to tell me I was going to hell. But she didn't. I mean, she, she, her and my mom basically said, we do not believe this is God's best for you, but we love you. And what was so awesome about that, about her not being um, harsh and judgmental, was that it left the door open that later when she invited me to that conference, I was willing to go because I was searching. I, I trusted her enough to go with her to the place where I heard the gospel and I heard the reality about my own brokenness. But what impacted me that day was a woman getting up and sharing her story of getting involved with a female friend from her Bible study and in a lesbian relationship. And then they said, well, let's look at the Bible and let's see what, what it has to say about our relationship. And they came to the conclusion that the Bible said it was wrong. And the one friend said, I don't really care. I'm going to do this. And the woman that was giving her testimony said what changed my life forever. She said, I decided I was going to follow the Bible because I realized that just because I felt something didn't make it right. Because that had been my entire justification for this lesbian relationship and believing um, that this is who I was supposed to be. Melissa and I often talk about the fact that we still deal with some levels of same-sex attraction. I mean, it's it's not completely gone. It's not totally eradicated. But what we've realized is that doesn't have to prevent us. I mean, everybody on the planet, every Christian, deals with desires that are contrary to, to God's word or following him. And we have to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after him. And over the course of weeks and months and years of time, it's gotten easier and easier to do that. But it's not as I focused on, oh, I want to I want to be opposite sex attracted. It was as I allowed the Lord to build me up as a masculine being made in his image and actually gave me a desire to be deeply and truly connected um, to a woman, to Melissa. Actually, it's our 16th anniversary coming up on uh, September 8th. I believe that, you know, Christ gave everything to ransom me. And because he obeyed, I can obey him. And so it, for me, it's, it's a daily decision. I mean, and not even about same-sex attraction. I mean, that was just kind of the surface issue. I mean, let's talk about my pride. Let's talk about my anger. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the judgments that I had about men that I needed to confess and repent of. And as I was willing to submit to him, then he began to change my outlook. Um, if that hadn't happened, Gary never would have stood a chance. I mean, it would have been, a, I know it would have been a minefield. Um, and, uh, yeah, he would have been roadkill. So, um, so grateful for just the, all the Lord has done. And, um, and then as a result of that healing process, then that's when God called me 
to help other people. And, and that's what I love about God. Only in God's economy can he use our brokenness and our wounds and turn it around for the good of the kingdom and for other people. We're so focused on flip-flopping attractions. That's not where it's at. It's actually, as, as God began to pour into my life through these men who just saw me as a dude, they just saw me as a brother who was struggling in this area. They struggle in some of these other areas, pornography or sexual sin or other things too. But as they shared their life with me and just took me under their wing, God began to activate what my dad had never understood how to with this masculine seed within me. And our belief is that identity is such a powerful foundational sense of who we are that when we take something that if we were to act on would be sin and connect that to our Christianity that that's actually we're creating a huge fault line for ourselves and I believe that if I were to do that first of all I don't think I have any business marrying Melissa if I still believe that I'm a gay man that that's my identity Uh, even as a gay Christian I don't identify um, myself as a gay man I identify myself as a man made in God's image and a follower of Jesus Christ I just want you to know they couldn't have spoke that any better than I could have shared my heart of how we should be looking at this as a church. A couple of things I loved about their story, and um, they have a they have an organization called Truth and Love Network, and I love their story. Um, what I loved a couple of things here is they align their lives with God's word, not their attractions. That that's. We have to do that. And I love what Melissa said. She goes, just because I felt something doesn't make it right. So good. For Gary and Melissa, they allowed God to transform them, even in their struggle. And can we all be honest? We all have our struggles. And we have to do this together as we pursue Christ, not redefine it to try to make ourselves feel more comfortable or better. That doesn't help. That's not getting to the identity that we have in Christ, when we struggle and we deny ourselves, we will truly find the freedom that Christ desires to, to, to give to us. And we help each other. We pray for each other. We walk together through these things as we grow in Christ. I want you to know, just before we take communion, I want you to know you are not the choices you made in the past. You are not your mistakes. And you are not your sexual attraction. In Christ, we are a new creation. Let Christ transform you as we walk through this together. And I, and I, want, I want our church to be a refuge for people who are broken. It should be a refuge for people that are broken to find the transformation that they can find in Christ Jesus as we love one another and as we walk in the truth of God's word and we allow it to transform us as we submit to Christ and obey him. He knows what's best. And listen, maybe some of you were offended today, but I want you to know I love you. And as your pastor, I have to speak the truth of God's word because I know that's the only way. And I know you're not going to hear that every place, but we cannot redefine what God's truth is to make me feel better. That's the tension. We have to struggle through this as we submit to Christ because that's the best way. That's the only way. 
And that's the only way we can truly find freedom and be transformed through the power of Jesus' name. Amen? So I love you. I love you. You can write me hate mail tomorrow, but I love you today, okay? Wait till tomorrow. But I love you. May our, may we be a church, let's just remember, may we be that church that strives in God's truth, but walk in his compassion, empathy, and understanding like Gary and Melissa, we all have our hurts. We all have our pains. And we need a place to come to to help us to walk through that as we walk towards Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, wait till next week. It gets better, okay? So keep me in your prayers. Would you take out your communion? And uh, I, listen, if you're here today, maybe you're, you're, you're new. And I just want to say communion is open to all who are part of the family of God. And, and um, you can pray this moment to make that step to become a follower of Jesus and call on his name. It's a beautiful thing when you submit your life to Jesus. And by all means, feel free to take communion. Um, and so I want to open it up to anyone who has made that commitment to Christ Jesus. So, and if you don't take communion, it's a no-judgment zone. I'd rather have you not take it. You don't, don't worry about that. Uh, but we can pray with you to take that step. And we're going to pray and allow Christ to touch your heart. Um, the reason why we take communion is for everything we talked about today. Is that Jesus is the only way. He's the answer. He's the one that comes inside of us and transforms us from the inside out. And it's through his precious blood that covers us, that cleanses us, that atones us from all our sin. And so we have a Savior who didn't expect us to do anything to make us right before God. He did it for us. There's nothing we could do and our own goodness to ever be made right before God. We, we fail miserably. So God sent his son to do the work for us, and so we put our trust in him. So Jesus says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me, that the bread represents my body that was given for you, the cup represents my blood that was shed for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me of the great sacrifice I paid for you. So as we take communion today, um, let's remember that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus now and he covers us and he makes us new. Aren't you glad for that this morning? So go ahead, open up the emblems and take out the bread and open up your cup and and I'm going to pray and and we're going to take these together. Thank you, Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, I know this was not an easy message. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts about what we're trusting, where we're putting our identity. Thank you, Jesus, that you transform us from the inside out. So help us to be obedient to you and walk in love. And I thank you, Lord, that the church can be a beautiful place where people come to find that acceptance in Christ. No matter what we've done or where we've been, we can find forgiveness in Christ and he welcomes us with open arms. So we thank you for that message. And as we take communion today, I pray, Lord, that we would never forget your body, your blood that was given for us. And you tell us whenever we do this, we are to remember. And so we remember what you accomplished for us on our behalf. And for that, we are so grateful and thankful. So, Lord, as we partake this as the family, I pray you'd bind us together with cords that cannot easily be broken. That, God, we would um, walk in the unity of who Christ is. And all our flaws and all the mistakes that we've made, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, you make us new. 
So we love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Amen. And when you're ready, just partake of the cup, and we'll take this together. God bless you. Amen. Amen. If you are able, would you stand with me? We're going to close in song today. And-